Abolition. Abolition. How could you sit here and label that man a threat to you when he's already cuffed up? Why would you throw a bag over his head? You know, that's how they used to hang people back in the days. Put a bag over your head and put that noose on you. That was a full-fledged lynching. I don't care what nobody say. That was cold-blooded, calculated murder. It's a damn cover-up. And it is a cover-up. They can say what they want to say. They killed a son, a brother, a uncle, for no reason. What would you like to see happen now? Oh, the police prosecuted and fired. Because if I'd have did this to a cop, what would have made them not say, okay, we give you 100 years? And I would have got 100 years. That's 25 to life if I kill the police or any other pedestrian out here of society. Come on. They need the same punishment. They ain't bigger than law. That's the truth. That's the truth. Hee <laughs> hee! 
with Letters to the Lynchers, and that was the first one. That was our first letter to the lyncher you heard it at the opening uh, of the program. And uh, the, the week has been pretty phenomenal. You know, since the ASNN's birth, we've really been moving at light speed, you know, getting all these right. states on board, uh, preparing them for that, developing media uh, that we can use. We just came out, as we said last week, with our first documentary called the end of slavery, which is available now on Prime, uh, on Amazon Prime, and it's the story of the fight for Amendment C in Utah, and it's a hell of a damn good film to watch. You certainly should see it. So we've been putting all of this stuff together and uh, really trying to build the movement and get it as strong as possible for the opposition that we know is coming. And uh, I think Thursday was the busiest day for me, man. On Thursday, it started off at 8 in the morning in California time, where uh, mm-hmm. the new senator out there, state senator, announced ACA3. Uh, and the speakers were just phenomenal, including uh, Jamelia Land, former guest, uh, our sister from the ASNN, and March on. Uh, they, I mean, they just broke it down. We're going to play it for you tonight, uh, as a matter of fact, so you can hear at least the first four speakers. Uh, please look, watch the entire thing. But the first four were really, really powerful for me, and I wanted to share as much as I could with you. Uh, then after that, I did the uh, the live stream event with Brother Mark Hughes on Vermont. So we talked about Vermont uh, with the Vermont citizens and uh, did a live stream. That was pretty strong. And then mm. we did live on the plantation where there was four brothers, at least four from four different states, representing who are currently incarcerated and all the slavery abolitionists and trying to organize from behind enemy lines. It's, you know, if you have never heard live from the plantation here at abolitiontoday.org, you was just like, you sleeping for real. You know, you're talking about revolutionary. Uh, just tune in and check it out. Archives available 24 seven at abolitiontoday.org. And then finally, shout out to my brother T Ford, AKA Palmetto star, the ratchet revolutionary. Um, I did an interview with him at 11 p.m. at night, and I kind of just let my hair down. We played poetry. Like, you don't normally do that with me. Like, a lot of people don't even know I'm a poet. <laughs> they just think I'm, I'm an abolitionist, you know, but I'm also a world-class poet. So uh, he played some of the, my poetry, and we talked about the history him and I have shared over the past dozen years or so, uh, as well as the fight from the beginning, watching this thing from March 4th, 2010. And when you and I and others got together to make it, started deciding to make this shit happen till now, in mm-hmm. 2021, 11 years later, and seeing the 11 growth years, of that, man. 11 years later, seeing the growth of that vision manifest into reality uh, just by sheer willpower. Like, we would not give up. <laughs> you ain't going to shut us up. I don't care. We're going to keep it going. <laughs> and we kept it going, man. And eventually, you know. Uh, fractal geometry and complexity theory played its role. That butterfly effect was a beautiful thing to see. Absolutely. Now we're at critical mass. Now we're at critical mass. Yeah, you know. Uh, a revolution is not something that you can control. The best thing you can do is predict its movements and act accordingly. Uh, you might be able to nudge it one way or another, but that's only if you're really proficient at understanding what you're dealing with. And it starts in people's minds. Like today, when you heard that opening track, it probably changed some people's minds about things. Right. All right, well. And, you, you, you know, uh, one of my favorite clips of yours, you know, you always Slavery. tell people. What do we want to hear? Slavery. What are we fighting? Slavery. Yeah. And, and, and I, that's I'm what it's very about, clear. changing the mind. 
in the meetings that I've been in lately, I've been on at least three three occasions now. I've had prison abolitionists who, when they were introduced to me as a slavery abolitionist, felt the need to tell me that they know all about what I'm doing because they're prison abolitionists. It's just mind blowing, man. <laughs> like, wow, like really? Like, oh, you know all about the, this experience because it, it doesn't work that way. Uh, we're dealing with a crime against humanity. That's how we're addressing it here at Abolition Today. That's how the ASNN addresses it. Uh, it's a crime against humanity on paper, by law, and we need to abolish that. We're not trying to reform that. We're not trying to uh, just take parts of that away. We're trying to end legalized slavery. And whatever way that the uh, dominoes may fall after that is worth it, <laughs> you know? So, right. To assume you know all about what we're doing because you're doing something else, which is on a different – I mean, we're all trying to fight a system, right? But we've identified the system and its name, and it's a crime against humanity. Others haven't done that yet. So to try to think that you know what we're talking about, if you really knew, you wouldn't be calling yourself anything but a slavery abolitionist. Absolutely. You wouldn't be like, yeah, hi, I'm to a, the roof. Right. You wouldn't be, I'm a criminal justice reformist. You wouldn't say I'm a prison abolitionist. You wouldn't say I'm a prison slavery abolitionist. You would just be, I'm a slavery abolitionist because this entire system is set up as a system of slavery and human trafficking. And we prove that here every week on this program. Uh, and, you know, when we use certain words, we confuse the hell out of people. Either it's illegal or it's not. Either it's a crime against humanity or it's not. There's no, like, middle grounds in there. So when you use a term like mass incarceration, you're talking about something that really is an expression of a period of time, not actually a thing. Abolish it. You, uh, there's no laws protecting you uh, against mass right. incarceration. None of that applies. Uh, same thing with policing for profit. What is policing for profit but a metaphor for slavery? I mean, if you just right. think about it, policing for profit, hmm, what are they doing? They're hunting people. Slave catchers, hunting people, you know, so we, we use these terms that take away the power of what's happening and in so doing justify murder and slavery and genocide because we've taken away the power. And that's what those who are in power want to happen. I mean, if the system itself is supporting an, an idea like mass incarceration, then it doesn't point at them as accountable for anything. Of course they're going to support that. It's called controlled demolition. <laughs> anyway. Right. And, yeah, and when you use those just, you know, uh, blanket terms like that, it definitely takes away the race and class-based incarceration behind it, you know, because we've already run the numbers. And if it was based on uh, the numbers – just sheer numbers, and we were saying mass incarceration, there would be 7 million more white people in prison. You know, we five wouldn't million. see states. 5 million? Okay. 5 million, yeah. So, so we wouldn't see states where blacks make up less than 1% of the population, but they make up, you know, like almost 15 to 1 of the prison population. So right. we know that race and class also play a major role in it. And, and, and that we have... just. So let me just clarify that 15 to 1 is per 100,000. So you could be like a 95, 98% all-white uh, state, and you'll have it like a 90% or 80% all-white prison population, but the incarceration rates are like 15 to 1. Like last week with 
uh, Marquise right. in Vermont, that's 14 to 1 per 100,000. And when you only got 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people who are black in the whole goddamn state, that's a huge thing. I'm sorry. For Absolutely. I just want to clear and that I was just, the, the last portion I was going to say is we have a 156-year history where we can show that it was systemic or that it is systemic, that it's intentional, and it's doing exactly what it was intended to do. So that's the only part that I was just going to add on to that. You're right. They are doing exactly what it was intended to do. We have traced that history back to 1777, as the discussion we had last week uh, with the representatives from out of Vermont. Uh, They knew what they were doing. They'd seen this amendment in action. They knew how it worked uh, and how to apply it, and they even experimented in changing the words uh, to see if it could be exploited even more or less. Like Vermont has two different freaking exceptions. You know what I mean? They don't have one. They got two. In Georgia, the exception is uh, there's two there as well. You can be a slave in Georgia for if you're uh, duly convicted of a crime and also for contempt of court. So they knew what they were doing all along. Even Lincoln even knew because Lincoln drafted language that they have now in the District of Columbia, which is basically the exception to slavery from the 13th Amendment. Right. So it's not he didn't know. Go ahead. Just to correct myself, I said 156 years, but that was counting from 1865 of the uh, 13th Amendment. But, yes, it does Uh go all the way back to 1777, 244 years. Right, right. So that's that's a long history, a long track record. It's 156 just since the current version of the exception clause. Um, right, 156 years since the 13th Amendment. But they worked it out 80 years in advance uh, over – I think there were seven different trial and errors on this exception clause to see how it would work, experimenting in places like Ohio and Alabama after Vermont, uh, in the Missouri Compromise, all of these different things to see how it would work out. And the Fugitive Slave Laws was an extension of those exception clauses that they had applied. But, you know, we're seeing some beautiful days now, man. We've got uh, representatives. Congratulations to the rep out of California, uh, Sydney Kalmager. Doug, um, right for her election as the state uh, senator. Now she went from assemblywoman to state senator, and the first thing she did uh, was bring out the ACA three, which was written by an incarcerated individual, Sammy Brown, authored by somebody behind bars about ending uh, involuntary servitude in California's prisons, and California. Exploits the hell out of involuntary servitude. I remember we was doing the news not too long ago here, talking about how one county uh, was forcing the commercial industry to purchase all their components to eyewear glasses from the prison right. industry. Uh, by law, they had to, had to buy it from the prisons. Um, and they also have like, I believe it's like 30-something prisons, 31 or 33 prisons, with nearly 70 factories built inside the prisons. And then, of course, they have the firefighters out there. And we remember when that Mm -hmm. was addressed during the Kamala Harris uh, tenure as the attorney general in California, where her office said that they couldn't get rid of them because it would cost them a billion dollars in labor if they actually hired or paid salaries for firefighters, a billion dollars that California couldn't afford. So slave labor is okay, but being a billion dollars in a hole isn't. (laughs) So, you know, we've seen it all. So let's go ahead and listen to what they had to say. I think everybody else is going to be as inspired as I was uh, listening to this. It's a little long. We've got about 
13 minutes here for the 13th Amendment. Okay. And, but every second is worth it. So you're listening to Abolition Today, right here at abolitiontoday.org with Yusef Hassan and Max Barthes. We're going to listen to ACA3 announcement with the Panther soundtrack music. Abolition. Good morning. I want to extend a warm welcome to those here safely in person and to those viewing right now live via live stream. My name is Sydney Kamlogger. I am the Assemblywoman for the 54th State Assembly District. And I and my colleagues and stakeholders and warriors are here today to announce ACA3 the California Abolition Act. On the heels of the abolition movement nationwide, the California Abolition Act seeks to abolish forced labor and involuntary servitude unconditionally in the state of California. Currently, this progressive state constitution prohibits slavery and involuntary servitude except for the punishment of a crime, which means slavery and involuntary servitude are still on our books. I think this is outrageous, unconscionable, and wrong. And I think it is time for it to go. In the year of 2021, as we self-reflect what this nation stands for and who this state is, let us muster the courage to emancipate ourselves from these kinds of laws and these systems that bind us to a history of bondage, slave labor, and entrenched poverty. The psychological effects of modern-day slavery and involuntary servitude are well documented. Just look at the poverty rates, the unemployment rates, the reincarceration rates, and you will see that this has to go. Today, 12 states prohibit enslavement and involuntary servitude. However, their constitution includes that nasty little provision with an exception of criminal punishment. Nine states permit involuntary servitude as a criminal punishment, California being one of them. And one state even permits involuntary servitude to pay a debt, a damage, fine, or a cost. Our state constitution has yet to reflect the values of equality, justice, and equity that Californians now are demanding. Dissolving the remnants of slavery and racial inequality is more important now than ever before. In 2018, Colorado passed a measure that removed slavery and involuntary servitude as a criminal punishment from its state constitution. In 2020, voters in Nebraska and Utah did the same. It's our time, right now. And I am confident, with a strong push on the ground, led by Jamelia Land and our ACA coalition, and with continuing efforts from my colleagues in the Assembly and the Senate, and I am calling you all out right now to support this bill, we can move ACA over the finish line. I am thankful to have standing alongside me members of our ACA3 Support Coalition, and together we will move California forward into this century with equality, justice, and equity front and center.
Jamelia. Good morning. Uh, first, I would like to congratulate our new Senator-elect, Comlogger. Uh, on behalf of Samuel Nathaniel Brown, ACA3 Coalition, and every citizen in the state of California, we would like to thank you, Senator-elect, for taking on this challenge. I want to start off by not only thanking the members, uh, but for the community and the press, that are, and those that are watching virtually, thank you for tuning in and supporting this historic cause. My name is Jamelia Land. I am the co-founder of ASAP, Anti-Violence Safety and Accountability Project. My husband, Samuel Nathaniel Brown, is currently incarcerated at Lancaster State Prison. He is the original author of the proposal that our wonderful Senator-elect agreed to author. Today marks an era of unprecedented times, where as a nation we are experiencing trauma that we could not have predicted. This trauma will run deep and may last for generations to come. As we build our nation, we are stepping forward to create a stronger and more equitable future. Today, we are here to speak to you about ACA 3, a fundamental issue that should be framed into our new equitable foundation. To speak frankly and clearly, ACA 3 is an amendment to our state constitution. We are asking to remove a sentence from the 13th Amendment. This bill will remove the caveat of involuntary servitude from punishment, excuse me, for punishment from our state constitution and rid our state of the residual effects of slavery. We as a state and nation have banded together to condemn similar crimes against humanity. We have stood up to stop crimes of child labor, human trafficking, and wage theft where people are being forced into servitude without choice or fair compensation. The same moral compass has directed us to stand and fight against these inhumane acts as prompted ACA 3. People that are currently being forced into labor without fair or just compensation are currently being forced to sew bras for companies like Victoria's Secret, assemble jeans, fabricate license plates, work in warehouses for private companies, and even fight fires for communities in need but for wages as little as eight cents per hour. What ACA 3 would require is that labor, not related to simple cleanliness or maintenance of the prison and jail facilities, to pay a fair wage, a wage that would make inmates inaccessible to private companies as cheap labor. Today, we stand proudly and boldly on behalf of the citizens of the state of California to say that involuntary servitude, a vestige of slavery, is not acceptable in the state of California in the year 2020-21. There will be a lot of conversation around prison wages, and I want to be very clear that this is not an issue of wage. This is an issue of humanity. This is an issue of do we want to continue in the year 2021 to live in a state that holds language in its constitution that is directly tied to slavery. My answer to that question is no. Thank you for your time. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, and I want to start by thanking and congratulating State Senator-elect Sidney Kalmager. Um, it was a great week for the state of California uh, to, to have Sidney win that election. And I think today is an example of why. Um, why State Senator-elect Kalmager is the kind of leader 
groups that we need here in California. And this coalition uh, that surrounds us is the kind of movement that we need to celebrate, encourage, and support here in California. Now, involuntary servitude is slavery by another name. And it's interesting because when I read articles about um, this ACA being introduced, what have you, some folks are like, well, you know, this is part of how we operate our prison. Or, I'm against involuntary servitude per se, which to me tells you that they really aren't against slavery. We're taught in our history that slavery was abolished over 150 years ago, but we know that's just not the case based upon the fact that we know that there are folks that are currently incarcerated that are being required to do things. I think the pandemic has exposed this more clearly than ever. Everybody has the right to be free from putting themselves in harm's way. No one should be forced to do anything. And involuntary servitude, as has been mentioned, is not just a, a vestige that connects us with our slavery past, it is our slavery past, manifesting itself in the present day. And we have to make sure that we have a society that respects everyone's humanity and get away from the judgment of anyone being less than anyone else, regardless of what society might label them. And let's not forget, when we talk about the prison industrial complex, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a system that sustains itself on the bodies of human beings, on the labor of human beings. And so it is past time for us, far past time for us, to say once and for all that slavery and involuntary servitude must be permanently abolished from our society. And... Once we do that, we can have conversations about what someone's labor is worth, whether they're in an incarcerated state or not. But can we at least have a common agreement that involuntary servitude should be immediately abolished? And that's what we're asking for. That's what this incredible coalition behind me is asking for. That's what our state senator-elect is asking for. And we're not going to stop until we make it happen. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Joseph Gray. I'm the Sacramento Director for the Anti-Recidivism Coalition here in Sacramento. We are joined here this morning due to the moral issue of slavery. We just have to call it what it is. ARC's Executive Director, Sam Lewis, I think quoted it perfectly when he said this, and I quote, ACA 3 is a massive step in California's quest to end systemic racism. The Constitution of the State of California should espouse true equality for all people and not perpetuate the lineage of American slavery. You know, for California, a state who prides itself on being a leader for racial equity and equality in the nation, we have done little to remove the fragmented segments of slavery that still exist in our very own state. Instead, 
we find ourselves either to follow the lead of states like Nebraska and Utah and Colorado, who I, I would have never imagined to be the leader of racial equity and equality in this nation. However, all of those states have already eliminated the language of slavery from their state's constitution. ACA 3 is about disintegrating the remnants of slavery. The remnants are still very present in this state today. Today we are brought here to tell California we will no longer allow slavery to clinch onto California's constitution. That ends now and that ends with us. Thank you. You just heard the March 4th, 2021 announcement by Senator-elect Sidney Kamlager-Dove about ACA 3, the Abolition Act for California, to remove their exception clause to involuntary servitude. That was powerful. Yusuf, before you make comments, let me put the telephone number out there in case anybody else wants to add something to it. We're at 515-605-9814. That's 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 on your keypad if you have a question or comment. All right, Yusuf. You know, as the clip was playing, I was uh, on the uh, CalPIA website. That's the uh, California Prison Industry Authority. Mm -hmm. And just looking at the amount of products that are made in the California prisons that are sold commercially. We're not talking, you know, stuff that are used within the prisons. We're talking about every page is saying, yeah, contact our sales department. I mean, they have 500 acres of almond farms and, you know, all kinds of office furniture. And you just, you, you name it. They have all kinds of stuff, clothing and textile. So, you know, it's no longer just, about tobacco or picking cotton or things of that nature of the past. I mean, we're talking about entire industries. There's all kinds of food that's being uh, manufactured in in these prisons. And every you know every state has you know this this type of industry has different names like it's uh, core craft in in. Uh, New York, and I forgot what it's called in New Jersey, but every state has this, and you can actually go to this, go to the state website and see how much stuff is actually being manufactured by those incarcerated and sold in the commercial markets, and you can get a a, a bigger picture of how much money is being made, and, and we've covered it several times, you know, throughout our uh program of how yeah. much money is being made hand over fist and you can see again like I said a few minutes ago it has been operating as intended and it's, I'm just so you know glad that one for Samuel coming up with drafting this and for Senator-elect Cam Lager Dove uh, taking up the torch and pushing it through you know along with Jamelia along with uh, Mark Gray and the other gentleman didn't introduce himself, so Joseph we can't Gray. even credit him. Yeah, Joseph Gray, and right. the other gentleman didn't uh, give his name, so we're not sure who that is. But we're definitely thankful for them 
for spearheading this because it's it's past time. It's past time, and it's just great seeing the efforts that we've had along with the Abolish Slavery National Network and, you know, all of our comrades throughout the country that have been pushing for this in multiple states. And to see a state, you know, like California, you know, take this up is, is you know, heartwarming. And this serious about being serious. Uh, that's what I'm right. impressed by. Uh, you know, uh, Senator-elect Kamlager uh, Dove was in attendance and spoke at the first quarterly for the Abolished Slavery National Network. And she witnessed mm-hmm. firsthand that this is no small thing. Like we had people from 30 states involved in that, representatives, uh, elected officials, uh, royalty from the uh, United Nations, uh, senators, right. uh, federal senators. They were all there talking about this issue. She That's why she said on the heels of this national movement. And as the brother said, there's states like Colorado who have already led the way and Nebraska and Utah. Uh, leading the way in this, uh, you know, what's supposed to be progressiveness, right? So California right. is catching up. They're like, we're not going to be left behind. We're getting on board for sure. And they're serious about being serious. If you want to find out more about them, you can go on uh, Instagram at ACA3CA Abolition Act. That's ACA3CA Abolition Act. Or you can email them at ACA3COMS, that's C-O-M-M-S, at gmail.com. Uh, to find out how you can help and assist or, you know, even donate because this campaign is going to take some work and some resources to get done. It's going to be a lot of re-education, letting people know what's going on. But the family members of the incarcerated will already know because they've been seeing this forever, and I know they're happy about this. So I suspect a lot of people who would normally not vote would be willing to get out there and vote just to see this done. Yusuf? Absolutely. And there's there's no... In between, you know, it's, you know, George Bush liked to draw the uh, line in the sand. You're either with slavery or you're against it. There's no middle ground in this one. So you, know, you have to I, pick a side. I'd like to do is I see a, a comrade of ours, one of our hosts on Life in the Plantation online, on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hasn't raised his hand, but I really want to get a couple words out of him. I want to ask him a couple things. Is that the 9535? Of course, that's Brother Benu. Benu, I'm going to open up your line. Yeah, he had his hand up earlier. Yeah, please bring in Brother Benu, man. Benu, you there? Got your mic open. You might be muted, Benu. All right. Because he had his hand up a few minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. I guess you got to catch him when you can catch him because, you know, the the brother ain't outside. He's inside (laughs) trying to do what he can do. So I'll leave his mic open if he wants to chime in at some point. That'll be all fine. Uh, I'm just really proud of them. Congratulations, uh, you know, for getting this done, just like Texas is getting it done, and Oregon is getting it done, and Vermont is getting it done, and Jersey is getting it right. done, and New York is getting it done. And just to witness this uh, right here in full vision for everybody to see is amazing. I'm very much taken aback by mainstream media. You would think by now they'd be like, oh, my God, what the hell is happening? And we're not paying attention. But I suspect the mainstream media ain't our friend. <laughs> so it is what it is with them. <laughs> but we're getting the job done with or without them. If they want to blow some horns, that would be nice. Uh, do some interviews with people like Jamelia Land on CNN. I would love to see, uh, what's his name, Don Lemon talking to Jamelia Land. That would right. be awesome. You right. know? And, or have, even have, and have Sam on there with her. Right. And have Sam on there with her. Sam, be is out here. Sam is in prison writing legislation. <laughs> 
changing the Constitution. <laughs> you know, and people talk about they they don't know what they can do. I can't do nothing. This brother's in prison. <laughs> And not only is he writing legislation, but he's also organizing in prison and teaching in prison. He's got more degrees than a thermometer. The brother is just like right. crazy right with it right now. He is not playing. Shout out to Sam. Absolutely. Sam, so, and then yeah. we have, you know, Brother Banu here and Hashima. And I mean, it's just so many. We could run down a whole list of brothers. Ivan Kilgore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, SJ. We could just run so many names where. When they want to start talking about this, these are the people they need to be talking to. You know, just like it, just like the show is called, Live from the Plantation. Who can tell you more about slavery than the person who's being enslaved? You know what's mind-blowing is that while 30 states are involved in slavery abolition in the United States, South Carolina, which has also got organizers without a legislator yet, uh, to Yes, state. And say we're there. <laughs> right. My, the state I'm in right now, yes. I've been here for like 23 yeah. <laughs> years, so I might as well be a native. Uh, but what they're doing is they got a bill going through to bring out firing squads. See, they don't have any uh, poison, the, the chemicals that kill people. They don't have that. And they're not able to get it, apparently, because there's no unlimited, there's not a lim- uh, supply enough for several states. So they want to give the option of a firing squad to people uh, or the the electric chair. Now, this is the same state that electrified uh, George Stinnis Jr., remember? <laughs> right. 14-year-old boy, and they're still right. killing people. They're still deciding that they're smart enough and wise enough and uh, fair enough to decide who lives and who dies. And not only are we fair enough for that, but we're going to give you an option. In addition to the electric chair, we're going to give you the firing squad. So now we're going to involve more people in your death. Maybe 10 people can stand there and shoot you. You know, we'll get some rednecks in who love to kill people. We'll give them $500 to do it each day. They'll do it for free, but we'll give them $500 to make it legit. And they'll come in and shoot you right. to death. Because you know who they're going to be killing is primarily black black um, men. Right. Yeah, Lady G doing what he does best. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> shameful, man. It's It's freaking shameful. But there are some good things that have been happening as of late. Uh, One of them is uh, finally, after a lot of work with activists, uh, they got New York to release like 83,000 reports, disciplinary histories of 83,000 New York Police Department cops. It's all made public. Uh, So if you're a researcher out there and you're looking for info, you're trying to find patterns, all these different things that you might want to look into, there's 83,000 cops whose records uh, have been made public for disciplinary histories. Uh, so check it out. We'll put the link on Abolition Today at Facebook so that you can uh, see more about it. But that's a big big deal right there, bro. It's a real big deal. Absolutely. And you know, thankfully New York has the uh, CCRB, which is the uh, Civilian Complaint Review Board, and many other states are picking up on that as well. So you know, it's no longer the police departments basically policing themselves, which is, you know, sweeping everything under the rug. And you end up having officers, I think we covered in New Jersey, there was one officer who was like in his mid-20s and he had already worked for like nine or I forgot the number. It was a lot of uh, municipalities. He just go somewhere, violate rights, and then he just move on to the next town. Uh, I even came across an article right before we came online, you know, where there's an officer 
who's charged with two counts of capital murder, you know, in Dallas, and he's still on the job. You know, that's that's what's going on across the country, and it's mainly because records are being concealed. Having access to something like this, we're talking about eighty-three thousand cops, you know, being made known. You know, it's tremendous, especially when someone is going through. You know, the court system, whether it's a criminal case or a civil case, a lot of times you want to get an officer's record and they don't allow you to access the records unless you know something that's in there. So this is a way where none of it's public. You can have access to it and you can see if this is a pattern of behavior for an officer. And it also opens the door for them to say, you know what, uh, if he's done this this one time, then we need to start reopening his other cases to see what was going on. So it's it's tremendous, and I hope many more municipalities across the country uh, pick up on this as well. Well, we can see the movement going that way. Uh, there's a lot of precedents being set one after the other, uh, with examples being given of how this should have been applied already and that it really reflects a crime in progress, the denial of certain rights uh, as human beings or even citizens. So, for instance, with Oregon and their bill 571, SB 571, to give the incarcerated the right to vote, why did they ever lose it in the first place? That's not in the Constitution except under the 13th Amendment. And if you know that it's in the Constitution in relations to the 13th Amendment, then you also know that this is slavery. So you can't be like ignoring one and taking the other. Uh, another win that we recently had is these lower courts out in Mississippi have uh, ruled that qualified immunity is unconstitutional and that they want to see that doctrine abolished. Uh, I give that victory, I guess, to the prison abolitionists and police abolitionists out there agitating Absolutely. for change. You know, it, it is definitely a step forward, but at the same time, it's a step forward under reform ideologies. For us, these are slave catchers, you know? <laughs> right. Why do slave catchers have qualified immunity anyway? They should be on trial, like the hate trials at this point, as far as I'm concerned. If you wore the badge, if you wore the uniform, you did the crime, and you're part of this crime against humanity. And that's why that other policeman recently committed suicide after explaining that he felt like that. Like he's committing right. this crime against people in America, and there's nothing that he can do to change it. He's just a small cog. In a big wheel So the judges there said uh, They said the judges have invented a legal doctrine To protect law enforcement officers From having to face any consequences For wrongdoing The doctrine is called qualified immunity In real life it operates like Absolute immunity And it does Mm -hmm. Uh, Colorado has gotten rid of it already And we've already seen that that's saved lives Uh, They've also incorporated A system, I forget the name of it Where uh, everything is, is cops don't respond to everything where mental health is needed or social workers are needed. Those are sent, and uh, they've been sent to like eight hundred different cases. Yeah, and nobody was that got arrested uh, push? Or, I think it was called push or something like that. I can't remember it off the top star, right now. We'll it's star, it. it's star, star, it's the star yeah, program. The star program, and that's another thing that we need to see a lot more of. Uh, I want to repeat uh, to Brother Benu, if you're uh, here listening, your line is open, and we want to hear from you tonight. And if you're also listening and you want to comment or question, uh, the number is 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814.
press one on your uh, to let us know that you won't have a question or a comment. All right, brother Yusuf, um, man, you know it, it started with New York too in the beginning of the program. Uh, what we heard there, uh, man, it was Rochester, New York. Right. Right. All right. And uh, I'd like to get into the uh, Mark Morial clip. Yeah, we're gonna we should do that. We'll move our, our our music selection up a little bit today because we got some extra stuff we want to play. We really we've got several letters to the lynchers that we want you to hear. You've heard two so far: yeah. the opening track and the announcement of ACA three, which is a letter to the lynchers. And uh, so let's go ahead and go into the Mark Morial uh, lynching speech before Congress. And uh, we won't even tell you what the song is following that. We'll just let you be pleasantly surprised. But we know somewhere, someone right now is saying, If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. Hmm. Abolition. <laughs> Abolition. Between 1882 and 1968, that's an 86-year period, 4,742 people, mostly black, were lynched in the United States. These murders were turned into public spectacles with people being tortured, mutilated, and burned in front of hundreds of spectators mocking their deaths. Since 2013, when Trayvon Martin was killed in Florida, 1,200 and 91 black people have been shot and killed by the police. Over 100 of them were unarmed. And now, in 2020, as we stand just six years away from the 250th anniversary of this nation, before the eyes of the world, George Floyd, was lynched on the streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And the world, from Hungary to New Zealand to Australia to Paris to London to big cities, small towns, every village, every hamlet, every neighborhood in this nation have risen up in mainly peaceful protests to simply say enough is enough. Enough is enough, and black lives matter. Black lives matter. Strange
pastoral scene of the gallant south, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, scent of magnolia, sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain together, for the For the sun to rock, for the trees to drop. Here is a strange and bitter You just heard Mark Morial's lynching speech followed by Billy Holiday, Strange Fruit. So, Max, uh, I'll let you go first. Dude, we took it to the original on that one, you know, and uh, Mark Morial really put it into perspective. Like, this is an unbroken line of horror and tragedy. It may be done in different ways, but it's the same damn thing, killing us in the middle of the streets. And the reason for that, which is where he didn't go, is because we still have slave catchers. See, when you got slavery, guess what else is there? Slave catchers. And I know, as I've always said, that uh, people may feel some kind of way about me calling their kin slave catchers. But it is what it is. How many slaves do you got to catch on behalf of the state to be locked up for profit or control in order to be a slave catcher? If you only do one, that's one too damn many. And we got a million cops and at least uh, 24 million people going through our justice system every year. Well, we've got a clip for you tonight that really breaks down why it's like that, where it starts off with the New York Police Department's cadets being sworn in and swearing to uh, protect and defend the Constitution, which is a lot, and I write lie from the very beginning because it's being violated when you swear it. Uh, and then being put on a job where within 45 days they're expected to have X amount of arrests. Uh, it doesn't matter whether the crime's up or down. You still got to keep supplying these arrests. And it's all caught on tape with the supervisor berating one of the new men, cadets, uh, because he hasn't arrested enough people and demanding that they do it more. And, you know, those quotas were allegedly abolished in 2010, but these secret recordings show something else. Yusuf? <laughs> you know, Max, uh, between 1877 and 1950, about 4,075 blacks were lynched in 12 southern states. And that's according to a 2015 report by the Equal Justice Initiative 
It says that some were watched by crowds as if attending a form of public uh, entertainment. And Ida B. Wells actually said, our country's national crime is a lynching. And I just want to point out that to this day, there's no anti-lynching bill that has passed both houses. You know, we know over time, there was a thing called the Dyer Anti-Lynching Bill, which was first introduced back in 1918. You know, and it passed the House, but of course, it uh, received pushback from Congress, about from uh, by the uh, Southern Democrats in the Senate. You know, they did a filibuster back then, and you know, we can even take it up to, uh, I think it was called, I can't recall the name of. Something, it, it was a Wagner bill. It was a, somewhere in the 30s. Uh, Costigan Wagner bill of 1934. Also went through the House, didn't pass the Senate. And then they came up within 2018. The Victims of Lynching Act was just really just like going through the motions type thing. But on February 20th or 26th of 2020, there was. The House passed another version called the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, and that uh, passed the House by a vote of 410 to 4, but uh, Senator Rand Paul held it up back in June, you know, so it never passed. And yeah, to this day, that there's still no federal crime against lynching. And yeah, the last one to hold it up second. was Rand Paul, uh, from right. what I remember. You know, yeah. they still don't want to have an anti-lynching law in America. And, yeah. and did you know? Shameful. Did you know that uh, this song, "Strange Fruit," many consider it the reason that Billie Holiday died. You know that? Yes. It got to the point where they were threatening her to not perform this song, so much so that they put the commissioner for the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. On her, and they were actually out to set her up, trying to get caught up in, you know, heroin uh, buys or anything that they could do to just get her to stop singing in the song. And she said, "Look, it reminds me of how my father died, and I have to keep singing it not only because people ask for it, but because 20 years after Pop died, the things that killed him are still happening in the South." So she refused to stop singing the song, and we know when she actually. Uh, went into the hospital and they refused, you know, to give her any, uh, they refused to give her any type of medical treatment. And many believe that because of that, that's, that's what really caused her to die. Yeah. There's a film out right now called the United States versus Billie Holiday, uh, where Andrew Day is performing as Billie Holiday. I haven't yet seen it, uh, but I've heard some pretty good stories about it. And I'm looking forward to watching it here at the abolitionist center. With several of the abolitionists. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it myself. And shout out to uh, Andrea because she uh, she tunes in from time to time. Does she? You know, we featured her on the yeah. program once before with her and Common uh, stand up. Uh, as a matter of right. fact, with this piece, yeah, uh, she killed it. I've always been a fan of Andrea Day, and they said that she was almost possessed in the way that she changed everything. Her voice changed, her face changed, all everything. You know just became another person. And I think that's how you got to do it when you're portraying people of history like this. You really got to put yourself in in their shoes. You got yeah, to you really have to. For a minute. Whether you're reading a speech or acting as that person, you really got to embrace all of it. 
So yeah, okay. I was glad uh, to brother, hear the original version too. Absolutely, absolutely. And just as a reminder, brother Benu, if you're on the line, we have your line open. If you wanted to comment, because I know you had your hand up earlier. He's probably doing double duty. He may be on a meeting already, because you know he be doing a lot right. of organizing. So he's and, tuned and in. He has and to watch out, and, and he has forth. to watch out for the uh, slave catcher, the overseer. For the, for the overseers, making yeah. rounds. <laughs> Got to watch out for the overseers. All right, well, let's keep it moving, man. That was another powerful letter to the lynchers. Um, and mm-hmm. we got some more letters to the lynchers for you. As a matter of fact, I already gave some of the description about our next clip. Um, it's Crime and Punishment, which is a Hulu original documentary. Uh, I am in the midst of watching it myself so far. Uh, I, am, uh, I, I like what I'm hearing. Uh, it's dropping the truth. It's showing these secret conversations and recordings and they're really breaking down what's happening in the city of New York at the very least. But as I said, I haven't watched all of it. And that's going to be followed by Slave Catcher by Black Ram. Uh, you know, we love bringing out stuff you may have never heard before. And I'm looking forward to reactions on this. So you're listening to Abolition Today. Reggae. With... reggae. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you're listening to Abolition Today with Yusuf Hassan and Max Parthas here at abolitiontoday.org. Everything we talk about is on our page at Abolition Today, Facebook. And all the news and songs that you hear is available on our YouTube page at Abolition Today. YouTube.com slash Abolition Today. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I do hereby pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, as a police officer, in the New York City Police Department, the best of my ability, so help me God. Congratulations.
Them see we panic and I induce around the phone line Trying to find some work just to make it through the day on The mind that's showing up, kicking the door at a way phone line System will do anything to make us asleep Must they catch up on the road and say the man patrol Slipping through the air, yes, and find another soul Them pockets keep seeing and when things out of control Them comfy take you away
you know, when you when you when I first saw it, it was going to be part of the uh, program tonight. I said, let me look up some information about this, and then, you know, I didn't even know that they went and made a documentary out of it because I remember when we talked about the officers in New York. Uh, I think they were on, you know, CBS and a couple of other broadcasts. You know, saying where they have all of these quotas that they have to go by. You know, and even bringing out that if they were in like white neighborhoods like the Upper East Side, that certain things they're supposed to just let go, that they can't write tickets for them. You know, but yet these are the same things where, you know, not only were they write tickets for them, but people would spend uh, months in jail on outrageous bails for, you know, simple marijuana possession or, you know, other small petty crimes. So they try to kill you for jaywalking and have done so. They just killed a man for jaywalking two weeks just ago. Did it? Yeah, they like, just did and it. And that was the crime he apparently committed was jaywalking. But we all know that that wasn't the real crime. The real crime was walking down the street black around some damn police. Simple as that. Uh, it's just terrible, terrible condition. Uh, I thought it was a powerful video so far. I was glad to be able to put that little snippet in there that shows the receipts of what's happening. There, You hear them telling this cop, you need to go out and do this or else. And everybody else is already on board. Right. It's not about, you know, is there more crime? Is there less crime? It's about, I need you to arrest this many people every week. And we remember back in 2015 or 16, I think it was, when New York City Police Department decided they wanted to strike back at the mayor who had a half-breed son and was talking about how that could be his son. Um, and mm-hmm. they, they went on strike. And remember, uh, I think it was like 80% of the tickets stopped being issued out. And that's what they were doing. Right. And eventually it got to the point where the city was like, yo, we're losing tens of millions of dollars. Would you guys do? You could better get back to work. So Bratton, who was the commissioner then, uh, ordered mm-hmm. them to go back to work or they would lose uh, their uh, days off, they would lose their holidays, their paid days, their sick days, all that would be lost. And so they went back to work. It wasn't about crime. It was about making enough money to keep the city running no matter how you got it. Right. I mean, I see we have this article here, you know, in Chicago they have speed cameras that write a ticket every 12 seconds. Every 12 seconds. It, it, they yeah. ain't even got to park outside by a bush no more. Now they catch you with cameras. It's you know, all about the money. We When we when we covered uh, the Eighth Amendment, excessive fines and fees, where we just broke down all the different ways, this, this, this money scheme that they have to get as much money as they can out of the people. They're sucking the citizens dry with all of these tickets and fines and court costs. And they're sending them out there, these officers, like stick-up men. You know, they're just going out as armed bandits and saying, look, get out there and get us some arrests, get us some money. You know, that example you just put out there about Chicago, for for instance, right? Every 12 seconds they're writing a speeding ticket. I mean, we could generalize that just in simple math, how much it's worth. Anybody got a calculator out there? Maybe you're the lawyer. You figure it out. I got a calculator in front of me. I'm going to try to work it out, all right? So how many – we got once every 12 seconds, right? And how Uh many seconds are there in a day? Okay, let's say – 
what is it, 86,400? All right, so you got 86,400, Well, you, right? no, you said how many seconds are there in a day? In a, in a day, was, right. So okay, so you're talking 60 seconds per, per minute. Divided by 12. 60 seconds per hour. That's 7,200 a day? 7,200 a day. Now, let's say, what is those tickets worth to this city? On the average, you know what I mean? Like, what's the minimum you get a ticket for speeding for? What do they cost in Chicago? You know, let's just say 100 as guesstimate, right? $100 even. We know it's probably $300, but let's just say $100 to be conservative. Right, because right, they'll get them so, They'll get them to plea bargain, because remember, you know, Sixth Amendment violations. That's $720,000 a day. A day. Damn. For not for victim, right. victimless crimes. That, that was a good a guess. The, the the fine is a hundred dollars if the recorded speed of the vehicle is eleven or more miles per hour. So that's the minimum. And that's the minimum, right? And we're supposed to think that these uh, speeding traps are infallible as well. If they said you were speeding, you were speeding. Yeah, there's no way to beat it. No way to beat it, right? They're infallible. So you that's have a no hustle proof. right what, there. What's your proof? That's a huge hustle. Seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars a day, uh, three hundred and sixty-five days a year is many, many, many millions. Um, and this right. is how they use slavery as an economic development program. There's a human cost to that. Everybody that you're ticketing not can't always afford these, and two or three these end up putting you in behind bars. And if you can't pay the bail right. and get out, you have to sit in there forever. Uh, beyond what even the Constitution allows sometimes. You don't get no representation, and then you're given a plea bargain. And the plea bargain usually sends your ass to prison over what? Some tickets and fines. And then you end up in prison right. over tickets and fines. Uh, it, it's just a huge hustle, and it's destroying lives. And why has everything got to be a monetary punishment when people ain't got no damn money? <laughs> and, and, you know? and, and, and to make things worse... <laughs> A perfect segue for another article where there's a Kentucky bill that will make it a crime to insult or taunt police officers. So they found a new way to arrest they people. They criminalize uh, our character now. You know, we're all about fuck the police. You know what I mean? So now right. that'll get you incarcerated for saying that. You know, forget what the First Amendment says. As far as I know, the, the only way you can uh, are not protected by the First Amendment. It, one of the main examples would be fighting words. So if you're causing harm to others with what you say, uh, those are fighting words and they're not protected by the First Amendment, like what Donald Trump did to incite a riot. Uh, the right. average comparison is yelling fire in a theater, but what Donald Trump did <laughs> to cause a riot, that right. is not protected by the First Amendment. And it's Man. also left to interpretation. So just like an officer can you know, kill someone and say, I feared for my life, you know, right. the way you look at him, he can, he can consider insulting or taunting. You can just look at him a certain way and you're not going to believe what the fine for this is, Max. What's the fine for it? $250. $250. Homeless person, so look at you wrong. Two and a half times that right? of a speeding ticket. Damn. For looking at a cop wrong. Or just for looking for at him the wrong way. What if it's the clothes you wear? 
Uh, if you got an FTP t-shirt on, is that now taunting and insulting? Uh, what if you have a Black Lives Matter shirt on? Is that taunting and insulting? I mean, this thing, it, it, you can see what, they, what it's there for. It's meant to criminalize a people, to prevent them from protesting, to stop them from any kind of organized resistance against human trafficking, slavery, and genocide. And you know, the bill people, even goes further. It mandates up to three months imprisonment for a person if they accost, insult, taunt, or challenge a law enforcement officer with offensive or derisive words, or by gestures. That means you give them the middle finger, like you know that's your favorite gesture, Max, or other physical contact. That would have a direct tendency to provoke a violent response from the perspective of a reasonable and prudent person. So two hundred and fifty dollars and up to three months imprisonment. This is not much different than the sagging pants laws, where if right. your pants are four inches or, lo- or lower below your uh, your waistline, it's a, it's I believe it was a five hundred dollar fine, which is far more than both of those, and up mm-hmm. to six months in jail. And that was right out here in South Carolina as well as in New Jersey. That would yeah, and they had it in uh, southern. I think it was Wildwood, New Jersey. Why would New Jersey at least two people? Or oh, one of the beach of towns right in that area. They killed one guy, they tased him, he had a heart condition, and then threw him into this jail cell for sagging pants. He had like, you know, they're not quite sure to come below your knees, but he had him down. His underwear was covering his body, his t shirt was covering that, but his pants were sagging and he was black. And this was their opportunity to get another one for the quota. So they tased him. His heart murmur started going, he threw him in the jail, left him there for like six hours and he died. So he was a victim of uh, breaking the law of fashion. You know, you could have hmm. you could have had naked women walking in both them streets, and nobody would have said much of anything. But one black right. man with his pants sagging down, and suddenly uh, he is somebody that you need to execute for it. They they need the death penalty for that. And the other one was a man that they caught like out in the woods or somewhere, or it was in the middle of nowhere, sagging pants. They tased him like 16 times, killed him right there. Like 16 times tased him because his pants was below his damn waist. And these aren't crimes against humanity. You think these are mistakes, really? You think this is a mistake? They're not doing what they've been doing? Like You, you ever heard these stories before, just like this? I haven't. Nah. <laughs> I haven't. And Max, we, we have time for one more letter. All right, all right. Uh, let me give the shout out one yeah, more time. I, I to think brother, we can squeeze it in, brother. I knew your mic is open. Remember, if you tuned in, we wanted to hear from you tonight uh, about something. So, uh, if you can hear us, your mic is open. And if anybody else has something to say, press one in order to uh, let us know you have a question or comment. So, you think we should go ahead and do the no knock raid joint? Yeah, we have to. We have to. All right, good. We're gonna squeeze this one in here. We it's have very to. informative. Uh, it comes from a man, John Oliver. John Oliver knows everything about slavery. I'm telling you, we I have created a playlist that is only John Oliver explaining every part of the system very much like we do right here on this program. Uh, I wish, and I believe I speak for Yusuf and I both, that one day uh, we could get him on this program. Come over and help black media a little bit, uh, John. <laughs> you right. Know? Somebody right. sent in this clip where we're saying, hey, John Oliver, uh, you are an expert on slavery and human trafficking in the United States. Come on over and talk to some abolitionists. Uh, in the meantime, remember, you're listening to Abolition Today, and we interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Abolition. Abolition. Today. 
today. And rates can obviously have dire consequences. A Times investigation found that from 2010 to 2016, at least 81 civilians were killed in them. And these tactics are rarely proportional to the alleged crimes being targeted. In Louisville, Breonna Taylor's home, a year and a half before the raid that killed her, this happened. This police body camera video shows LMPD SWAT officers breaking into Doherty and Burr's house on West Chestnut Street. The couple and their three children who were under the age of 16 at the time claimed they were held at gunpoint the morning of October 26, 2018. 17 SWAT officers burst in because a detective smelled marijuana coming from the family's home. He smelled marijuana? Come on! If you just smell marijuana, you don't show up with loaded assault rifles like you're in Call of Duty. You show up with Settlers of Catan and $50 worth of cookies from Subway. Don't be such fucking squares. And the thing is, absurdly disproportionate and dangerous responses are basically par for the course when it comes to police raids. So tonight, let's talk about them. Why they are such a favored tool of police, why they really shouldn't be, and what we should do about that. And let's start with what you probably know already, which is that not all of us are at equal danger of being raided. When CBS2 in Chicago did an investigation of several years' worth of search warrants, they found that certain neighborhoods tended to be hit a lot more often than others. Inglewood had 872 search warrants. Also in the top five neighborhoods are Austin with 668, North Lawndale 455, Garfield Park 442, and Humboldt Park with 376. Census data shows these neighborhoods are all nearly 90% or more black and Latino. We found only a small percentage happen in white neighborhoods and none listed for Edison Park, Printers Row, Wrigleyville, Museum Campus, and Magnificent Mile. Yeah, that's about as fucked as you'd expect. Although I will say, you didn't actually have to tell me that those neighborhoods are predominantly white because Edison Park, Museum Campus, and Magnificent Mile are some of the whitest sounding place names I've ever heard. Right up there with Alabaster Prim, SPF 50ville, and Vermont. And that racial disparity has been found again and again. In Louisville, an examination found search warrants disproportionately targeted black residents. And a study of one year of warrants in Washington, D.C. found they were almost exclusively executed in black communities. And police have been given tools to carry out those warrants with increasing force. Police departments have become heavily militarized after either purchasing or just being handed military equipment. And some don't even try to hide how much they enjoy using it. Just listen to this officer introduce one of his toys in a career day live stream for kids. We call this the big bad wolf because with enough force I can take this ram on the front of this vehicle and I can put it against a brick house and I can go right through that brick and I can come right in your house if I need to. Not your house because all of you are good kids. But if we only do it for the bad kids. Oh, you do, do you? Well, that's reassuring. We've certainly got no reason not to trust you to determine who's a good kid and a bad kid. You're just a nice, talkative guy who apparently roots for the wolf in the story of the three little pigs. If only the wolf had possessed military-grade equipment, you say as you tuck your children in at night. Fortunately, your godlike father has no such limitations on his powers. Sleep tight, good kids. Watch this. I am glad that in this administration we have increased the amount of money for handling the problem of dangerous drugs sevenfold. It will be $600 million this year. More money will be needed in the future. I want to say, however, that despite our budget problems, to the extent money can help in meeting the problem of dangerous drugs, it will be available. 
This is one area where we cannot have budget cuts because we must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one in the United States, the problem of dangerous drugs. It's a no-knock raid. Don't be afraid. We'll shoot your dog in front of your kids. We are the SWAT We're here for your part And all the cash that you've got We are adrenaline junkies Taking orders from the top
Abolition. Abolition. You just heard the No Knock Raid mix uh, featuring Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, followed by the Max mix, Lindy. So, Max, man, I, I, I really like that you began that with Nixon because, for those who don't know, that's when uh, No Knock Warrants became a thing under the Nixon administration, and then it grew tremendously under uh, Ronald Reagan's administration. And just to get into some uh, statistics, Max, so in 1981, there were 3,000 no-knock raids, and that increased to 50,000 in 2005. Then in 2010, it went to 60 to 70,000 no-knock warrants. And they said that... uh, in Utah, no-knock warrants make up about 40% of warrants served by SWAT teams in 2014 and 2015, usually for drugs and done at night. And in Maryland, 90% of SWAT deployments were to serve search warrants with two-thirds through fourth entry. And from 2010 to 2016, at least 81 civilians and 13 officers have died during SWAT raids. Uh, then when we go into the uh, racial breakdown, uh, for the SWAT, you know, no-knock warrants, 42% are black, 12% are Hispanic. There you have it. Man, you know, John Oliver expressed how there's really not much difference between no-knock and knock, that uh, judges will sign off on warrants quicker than Cola Rum can do a haiku in a slam championship. <laughs> you know, They'll be just right. kind of right off and be done with it. They don't care. Uh, so when we get these victories of banning no-knock raids, the knock raids killing people too, uh, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And these, again, slave catchers. You know, there's instances in my mind that will be there for the rest of my life. The sister out in Baltimore uh, with the, the the SWAT team that killed her yeah. and shot Corrine her son. Gaines. Corrine, Corrine Gaines. Gaines. You know what I mean? For the rest of my life, I will remember that story about how that happened. And that's Everywhere you look, if you look at the film Do Not Resist, it really goes into detail about the SWAT teams and how they, uh, as the song expressed, adrenaline junkies, you know, they loving this to go out to be able to do this to right. people and wreck their lives and, and all of that. But, you know, this thing's worse than death. Uh, that strange fame, like the song in the opening expressed, that we get when we get mm-hmm. killed by police and become hashtags and celebrities all over the world because somebody murdered us in public. Many of us don't make it that far. We exist in a state worse than death, like life without parole, under the conditions that are so inhumane, you wouldn't allow a dog to live like that. Uh, You know, every week I hear from brothers and sisters who are living in those conditions right now. They're hosts on our radio programs. They speak every week on there and tell you what they're going through with Eighth Amendment violations and Fourteenth Amendment violations and and, uh, rape and murder, and drugs, and anything you can imagine uh, is happening behind these bars. People are dying all over the place, and it's preventable. Every piece of it is preventable. Uh, Unfortunately, we throw people away. As soon as you hear the words convicted, they become slaves, and you no longer give a damn. And that's got to change, because most of the people who are behind bars aren't there for violent reasons. They're there for nonviolent, drug-related, addiction-related, poverty-related. 
crimes. Right. And, and in many instances, life without parole is because you got violated uh, f- uh, for your parole. You maybe had weed in your system, or maybe yeah. technical, um, violations. You, right, technical, yeah, technical violations. Right, technical violations. And sometimes, very often, that third strike is some menial thing, an accusation of a backpack theft. Uh, you took a cake from a counter, uh, and that puts you in prison for life. It doesn't matter. You violate. That's your third charge. You're done. They call them re- repeat offenders laws and third three strike laws, but they're mm-hmm. throughout the country. Career felons and career felon laws, yeah. And it's just locking people that's, up, that's, throwing away. That's why I wish we could hear from Brother Bendu. I wish we were able to hear from him because, I mean, this speaks directly to even his situation. Well, I told him that I would start incorporating these things into our conversations because they're what's important to the people who are behind bars right now, the people living this ordeal. Uh, He wants federal parole reinstated. They're working towards that goal. They want a mandatory route to to pro- parole like how can you go from here to getting out and what uh, hoops do you have to jump through tell us you know so we have hope because now it's a cruel form of punishment to have somebody thinking that they're about to get parole and then deny it and they gotta wait five years three years or ten years and then do it again and then do it again and then do it again you imagine what's that doing to somebody you know so they right. want a way out way towards freedom when other countries aren't even incarcerating people beyond 20 years for anything. And we're throwing them away like disposable people. These are people's brothers and sisters, fathers, sons, daughters, husbands. People love them. And they made a mistake. Right. Sometimes, not always, many times your ass railroaded them into these cages. You hunted them like wild game and then captured them using any net at your disposal. Like the one where you can now go to prison if you taunt police. <laughs> you know? Abolition <laughs> today is a crime now because that's all we are is just talk to the police. We we're right up in their face, slave catchers. <laughs> right up in their face. You know? And so And uh, just just to pick a bone with you too, Max, uh Gil Scott Herons no knock should have been in that Max mix, man. You know, you should have reminded me three days ago. <laughs> I would have probably put it in there, but it slipped my mind, you know, uh, it slipped my mind. So I also realized next month what next month is poetry month. So let's save mm-hmm. the poetry for poetry month. I really want to go all out for poetry month as a spoken word artist and a lifelong member of that community. So I'm going to have some poetry guests come in. Uh, we're going to play some poetry throughout our tracks and mixes. Mm. And uh, it's all going to be about slavery abolition. You know, my friends are slavery abolitionists. <laughs> you all know? That's right. And uh, and you have some some friends in high places when it comes to this poetry thing. Poetry is spoken word. Yeah. And, and maybe we can get a – I'm right. thinking maybe we can get a live performance from you. Yeah, you was asking me about that earlier. Uh, I, I might do a little something-something. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. But don't forget okay. next week. Next week is huge, bro. Next week is two things. Yes. First, it's it's our anniversary, right? <laughs> 52 weeks. Right. Um, and then secondly, we have the great-great-grandniece of Harriet Tubman coming on. Uh, Ernestine Tina Wyatt will be here on Abolition Today. Uh, let me repeat that. The great-great-grandniece of Harriet Tubman. At one point, I might have said daughter, but I was mistaken. It's niece. So let's be clear. It's her descendant nonetheless. And we'll be here talking about slavery abolition with her. Picture that. 
and the twenty dollar bill. And we're gonna get that question answered. The twenty. Yeah. How does her descendants feel about this twenty dollar bill thing? You know. Uh, so we're gonna get that answered as well. And who knows? Maybe very much like Brother uh, Morris, Kenneth Morris, she will decide to lend her voice and her strength to the. Uh, slavery abolitionist movement by working with the Abolish Slavery National Network. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hoping that's the case, you know. Uh, it would be nice right. to know that we have both Frederick really and Harriet's descendants on our side here. Man, so let's get into our uh, final thoughts for the evening, and then we'll thank our sponsors and kick it out with our, our segment, um, Bridging the Gap. Yeah, surprise! We got we had a lot of stuff that we wanted to get in, and we actually got it all in there. We got it all in there, man. Letters to the lynchers. Mm -hmm. There's a few pieces of news that we didn't quite squeeze in, but it is what it is. We'll share it on Abolition Today, where you should follow us there. Click follow, like, and all of that good stuff, so that you stay up to date with the information that we're putting out. Uh, And also, don't forget to join us at abolishslavery.us. And join our mailing list there so that you can be uh, informed about actionable events and opportunities to lend a hand in the slavery abolitionist movement. So that's abolishslavery.us. Yusuf? Yes, and I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, uh, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We, Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sema Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. Prismatic Dreams, and Black Talk Radio Network. Shout out to Scotty Reed. Haven't heard from you in a couple of weeks. Hope's every, hope everything is okay with you, brother. Yeah, man, definitely. We got some people got our backs. Uh, as we've said before, Abolition Today was uh, requested for or by, named by, is sponsored by, paid for by our time here on this program. It does cost money to be here. Uh, right. And uh, supported by Jailhouse Lawyers Speak and I Am We Prison Advocacy Networks. These are organizers behind the walls uh, right. that feel that our voice and what we're talking about right now is beneficial to the story that they want to tell. Uh, and we are grateful for them. We're not getting funded by some big shots out of nowhere. You know what I mean? There ain't no Coke brothers up in here. There's the Coke brothers that <laughs> might be behind, be behind bars in South Carolina. The Coke, those Coke brothers. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is what it is, you know. So you know, I'm Max, I hijacked it. another quote from you. Oh, yeah? What is it? Yeah, I'm always hijacking you, man. <laughs> I'm hijacking you. You know, uh, you actually had it planned. I don't know what, what point were you going to mention it. And I say, you know, if Max doesn't get it, I'm going to get it. So I'm going to take this moment and get it. So the quote is, Throughout history, it has been the inaction of those who who could have acted, the indifference of those who should have known better, the silence of the voice of justice when it mattered most, that has made it possible for evil to triumph. triumph. And that's by Rastafari, the Emperor Haile Selassie. Tremendous quote. And, you know, someone else once said that uh, bad people exist because good people do nothing. You know, so it, they it doesn't take a lot. Go hand in hand. If evil is allowed to move without resistance, it'll just run you over. But all you need is a good few, few good people to stand up in its way, and you can stop it. Right. But make sure you point that 
the real evil because the media today will have you loving the oppressor and hating the oppressor. Uh-huh. You know, come on, if Malcolm. Had, come on, brother Malcolm. Out there talking about if you had just not resisted, but all I did was wear a T-shirt. That's resistance. You shouldn't have resisted. Like it's your fault right. that they shot you. If you hadn't had a sandwich in your hand, I've always told you, son, when you come home, don't bring home no damn Subway sandwiches because they look like machine guns to cops. You know, it, it right. doesn't work like that. They talk about and it's, 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 go ahead. No, no, no. I, I thought you were done. Go ahead. They're talking about the citizens ought to be trained on how to deal with cops. Like, how do you train somebody to deal with slave catchers? That sounds like some real psyop uh, evil to me right there. We want you to have a peaceful slavery experience. <laughs> like, what? You know, and 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 it's amazing because I I just happened to be scrolling through Twitter this morning, and if you can remember Amanda Gorman, I believe her name is the sister yeah, who did the poem the at poem. the inauguration. She said yep. that she was just walking home, and a white security guard followed her and told her that she, he was suspicious of her, and you know she used her key fob or whatever to enter into her building, and you know the guy never apologized or anything, and it was funny that you just mentioned this, and it's not even funny, but it's ironic you mentioned this because one of the first comments that someone said was, but where was she coming from that made her look suspicious? You know, like they were already trying to blame her. Like it's her fault that she's a black person living where this, this white person believes she didn't belong. And that's what made her suspicious. You know, so this is what always happens. It's, it's always. Is everything okay? I thought I heard Negro. No, no Negro spoken here. Oh. <laughs> they thought yeah, they saw one. Exactly. Huh? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody exactly. is safe. You know, nobody's safe in the society. I don't care how much money you got, how much power you think you got. How did, uh, what was that? It ain't that, uh, safe, it ain't safe, it ain't safe. Right. Uh, you, you're not OJ, you still nigger. That's, that's how it is, you know? Right. Candace Owens got cast aside quick in hell, didn't she? <laughs> she quick. Mad and and uh, what are the other two? Diamond and, Diamond and Silk, they Diamond all went Silk. down. They just use y'all, you know? They love it when you get up and say what they wanted to say. And they're so happy, they'll pay you for it, they'll applaud you, they'll give you awards for it. But all you're doing is just being a hand Pat you on the head. Yeah, you pat you on the head and all of that. So, yeah, <laughs> man. it's it's Welcome to Merca. 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 That's it. <laughs> Merca. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I'm just scrolling through. Uh, just looking to see if there was anything else that we wanted to cover that we didn't get into. Well, we only got about three minutes, so... You know, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. You know, as you said, the rest we could post up there. I mean, most of the stuff is slave catchers just being slave catchers, uh, America being America. You know, we start talking about some of the things that are happening in the schools and all of these things. It's just the norm, and here we are making our dent. You know, we're giving you some said in the song to do something about it. Well, here we are. It's our turn. That's right. And we are providing people today with letters to the lynchers because these are lynchers and these are lynchings. And you've heard them throughout the night. 
You've heard both the testimony of firsthand witnesses, uh, the testimony of elected officials, and the songs and soul of a society through their music and poetry, uh, all in agreement on what it is that they're dealing with. And we're here to try to help end that. Once you know what the source of the problem is, why the hell would you focus on symptoms? It's time to change your mind. Uh, let's do something we never did before, end slavery. Let me say that again. Amen to that. Say that again, brother. Say that again. Did before, end slavery. So, all right. Yusuf, wow. any final comments before we get into our bridging That's the gap? That's it. I mean, we have to go into the bridging the gap because I'm really looking forward to this one. All right. Uh, we continue the story. It's Cola Rum, spoken word artist, award-winning, uh, reading Frederick Douglass's uh, – mind on this constitution prior to the 13th amendment where he is explaining that it is actually an anti-slavery document to opponents who felt that it should be burnt up and ripped up and that it was pro-slavery and he gave another argument which is expressed through cola rum and that will be followed by this bitter land with Nas and Erica Badu You've been listening to Abolition Today. You can find all of our news and reports at Abolition Today on Facebook. Make sure you uh, check out the music playlist at Abolition Today on YouTube. And we'll be back next week with Sister Tina Wyatt, the great-great-grandniece of Harriet Tubman. Stay tuned. Peace. Peace. Abolition Abolition. Today. Before and Clarkson, clear-sighted as they were, took this view and the American statesmen in providing for the abolition of the slave trade thought that they were providing for the abolition of slavery. This view is quite consistent with the history of the times, all regarding slavery as an expiring and doomed system destined to speedily disappear from the country. But again, it should be remembered that this very provision, if made to refer to the African slave trade at all, makes the Constitution anti-slavery rather than for slavery, for it says to the slave states, the price you will have to pay for coming into the American Union is that the slave trade, which you would carry on indefinitely out of the Union, shall be put an end to in 20 years if you come into the Union. Secondly, if it does apply, it expired by its own limitation more than 50 years ago. Thirdly, it is anti-slavery because it looked to the abolition of slavery rather than to its perpetuity. Fourthly, it showed that the intentions of the framers of the Constitution were good, not bad. I think this is quite enough for this point. I go to the slave insurrection clause. Though in truth, there is no such clause. The one which is called so has nothing whatever to do with slaves or slaveholders any more than your laws for suppression of popular outbreaks has to do with masking slaves of you and your children. It is only a law for suppression of riots or insurrections, but I will be generous here as well as elsewhere and grant that it applies to slave insurrections. Let us suppose that an anti-slavery man is president of the United States, and the day that shall see this, the case is not distant, and this very power of suppressing slave insurrections would put an end to slavery. The right to put down an insurrection carries with it the right to determine the means by which it shall be put down. If it should turn out that slavery is a source of insurrection, 
that there is no security from insurrection while slavery lasts, why the Constitution would be best obeyed by putting an end to slavery. An anti-slavery Congress would do the very same thing. Thus, you see, the so-called slaveholders provision of the American Constitution, which a little while ago looked so formidable, are, after all, no defense or guarantee for slavery, whatever. But there is one other provision. This is called the Fugitive Slave Provision. It is called so by those who wish to make it subserve the interests of slavery in America, and the same by those who wish to uphold the views of a party in this country. It is put thus in the speech at the City Hall. Let us go back to 1787 and into Liberty Hall, Philadelphia, where sat in convention the illustrious men who framed the Constitution with George Washington in the chair. On the 27th of September, Mr. Butler and Mr. Pitney, two delegates from the state of South Carolina, moved that the Constitution should require that fugitive slaves and servants should be delivered up like criminals. And after a discussion on the subject, the clause, as it stands in the Constitution, was adopted. After this, in the conventions held in several states to ratify the Constitution, the same meaning was attached to the words. For example, Mr. Madison, afterwards president, when recommending the Constitution to his constituents, told them that the clause would secure them their property in slaves. I must ask you to look well to this statement. Upon its face, it would seem a full and fair statement of the history of the transaction it professes to describe and yet declare unto you. Knowing as I do the facts in the case, my utter amazement at the downright untruth conveyed under the fair seeming words now quoted. The man who could make such a statement may have all the craftiness of a lawyer, but who can afford to him the candor of an honest debater? What could more completely destroy all confidence in his statements? Mark you, the orator had not allowed his audience to hear read the provisions of the Constitution to which he referred. He merely characterized it as one to deliver up fugitives, slaves, and servants like criminals, and tell you that this was done after discussion. But he took care not to tell you what was the nature of this discussion. He would have spoiled the whole effect of his statement had he told you the whole truth. Now, what are the facts connected with this provision of the Constitution? You shall have them. It seems to take two men to tell the truth. It is quite true that Mr. Butler and Mr. Pickney introduced the provision expressly with a view to the recapture of the future slaves. It is quite true also that there was some discussion on the subject and just here the truth shall come out. These illustrious kidnappers were told promptly in that the discussion that no such ideal as property in man should be admitted into the Constitution. The Constitution. This bitter land with my soul